like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In this episode, I'll be continuing my look at Duandre's Dream of Electric Sheep. This is part three of five. In this episode, I'll look at chapters nine through through 13. Um, this, these chapters are a real turning point in the novel, and I think this is um, where really the novel becomes something, we learn it's becoming something quite different. The, the themes of the novel aren't quite as simple as they were when we first started out. You know, we, we, we thought we were kind of in a somewhat in an adventure story about a bounty hunter hunting down a handful of renegade androids, uh, the Nexus 6, the best androids that are out there. Um, and we learned that there's a subplot here about, about empathy and about the relationship between humans and androids. We know also it's an animal rights novel to a degree, especially given this post-apocalyptic environment in which most animals are dead, so people really have a close connection to them. But mostly we think we're getting into a story about, about a bounty hunter. Um, really what happens in these chapters is our main character, Rick Deckard, fundamentally transforms his attitude and his ideas about who he is, about his career, about his future. Um, and, and that's going to lead us to the climax of the novel where we, we really see our, our main character uh, kind of broken and, and really aimless and really at a loss of what to do now with his life because of a, a very important personal revelation he makes, he makes about himself. And let me, let's start with a a little flashback to an earlier chapter when we basically get the initial justification for why Rick Deckard thinks it's okay to hunt these androids who seem to have personalities and subjectivities and dreams and intelligence to be sure but the one thing they lack is is empathy right and this is what really separates them from the humans in fact it's the empathy test of course which is the way that Rick Deckard differentiates between the the humans and the androids Right. And he basically comes to the conclusion that androids are essentially uh, solitary predators, right? Incapable of empathy, right? And he thinks that this is the kind of creature out in the wild that can't have empathy. It doesn't mean we can't have empathy for them, right? But it's, it's, the, it's the one kind of creature in the universe that is okay to kill. Even the kind of religious leader of this world, Wilbur Mercer, He's kind of like a more of a spiritual figure. He's not really an active leader, but he's the one that people experience when they when they hold the black box and hold onto the empathy empathy box and experience collectively the suffering of of this figure. His philosophy was that you should only kill a killer, and essentially because these androids are without empathy, they're essentially solitary killers. They can't even have empathy for each other, right? And this makes them violent and dangerous and and. It justifies him killing them, right? Something is going to ha happen in this episode, in these chapters, that are going to change that uh, fundamentally. Now, where we left off, uh, Deckard had had got his first android, right? He, so there was originally eight androids that were on the list on the docket to be hunted. His coworker got two of them, but then he was shot by the third after he was identified as an android. 
So all Deckard had to do was find him, and he found him basically posing as a, as a Soviet bounty hunter, a Soviet police officer who comes to help him. Rick Deckard figures this out, is able to get the jump on him and, and kill him. That guy's name was Polakoff. That leaves five androids out there, um, and we'll, we'll be introduced to those all in turn. And these have not been tested yet, so Rick Deckard has a duty to kind of figure out if they do have, if they are androids or not, which means he's going to have to apply the empathy test to them. Okay, so the next one on his list is an opera singer, and she's one of the easiest to find. That's why he goes to her first. It's, it's Luba Luf is her name. She's got that odd name, but she's posing as an opera singer, and she's apparently good enough that she was able to immediately get her um, kind of performance going, and she's practicing for a performance of the magic flute. Rick Decker thinks he can get at her because he knows a little bit about opera and he thinks he can pose as, as a fan. All right, so, and now this is an important thing. The fact that he likes opera is one of the ways he connects with this android, not just as a tool of his job, but he actually starts to connect with her a little bit in an emotional way because of um, her, her ability. So he goes to the rehearsal, sees her practicing the magic flute, and he just has this love for her voice. It's, it's a really magical voice. And it's, we're, we're told again and again in these middle chapters just how beautiful her voice is. And in a way, what a shame it is that she is an android that has to be uh, retired. Rick Deckard thinks a lot about death at this point. He thinks about Mozart, who, of course, died not long after uh, the Magic Suit. The Magic Suit was, I think, his last major work that was, that was finished, completed in his life. Of course, the, his Requiem was not finished during his lifetime. It had to be finished by others. Um, but he thinks about the death of Mozart, and he thinks about how someone as young as Mozart couldn't have known that death was around the corner, and he thinks that's the same for him. And it's almost in a way he's kind of giving himself cover for this, the, 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 the killing of, of these androids, who also are kind of playing with fire and, and should know that death is right around the corner. Nevertheless, Deckard has this really deep fascination with, with um, Lubaluf. Quote, on the stage, Lubaluf sang, and he found himself surprised at the quality of her voice. It raided with that of the best, even that of the notables of his collection of historic tapes. The Rosen associate built her well, he had, had to admit. And again, he perceived himself subspecies Aeternatus, the form destroyer called forth by what he heard and saw here. Perhaps she... The better she functions, the better a singer she is, the more I am needed. If the androids had remained substandard, like the ancient Q40s made by the Durain associates, there would be no problem and no need of my skill. I wonder when I should do it, he asked himself, as soon as possible, probably, end quote. Again, even though he's amazed at her ability, this just becomes one more piece of evidence that he, his job is necessary, right? And, and this is the change that's going to happen in Deckard in these chapters. He's, he's going to realize that his job is... Even if it's necessary, he might not admit that it's not, he might not go as far as saying it's not necessary, but it's certainly not something he's comfortable doing anymore. Um, so he goes, after the rehearsal, he goes to see her in the dressing room, and he claims to be from the police. His original plan of, claim, of wanting to be an opera fan doesn't really pan out. He just goes ahead and claims he's from the police, and he's performing random personality tests with the employees. And she immediately kind of knows what's up, and she's a bit worried, and she, she knows this is an empathy test to determine if she's an android or not. So she starts accusing him of being an android. And there's going to be some playing with this idea that maybe Deckard is an android in these chapters as well. It's something that's resolved, so um, they, they make such a big deal of this in the film versions, and especially in the sequel 
version. It becomes a major part in the, the recent sequel to Blade Runner. I'll, I'll say its name, finally. Um, but, you know, that's not Dick's intention here. Dick makes it very clear that Deckard is, is, is a human. It, it's, it's not very ambiguous at all. Um, but she does accuse him of being an android trying to mess with him. And actually, I think the empathy test that Deckard starts to give in this chapter is quite interesting because he, you know, you see Luba Luf fighting back and, being, and trying to distract him and deflecting. And it's kind of a very elaborate game between the two. He's trying to stick with it, much more so than Rachel Rosen, because that's the previous empathy test we saw. This one has a much more active participant in Luba Luf who's trying to defend herself. So she's always trying to deflect. And it, it's quite brilliantly done. He actually goes through um, one example, one question that actually he thought got Rachel Rosen. Uh, and that was the, the eating of the dog, watching people eat a dog. And she starts going off about how she wasn't, in the, she wasn't alive before the war and all this. And, that, you know, and, and she wouldn't have known this. And she's not interested in the Philippines and that people eat dog there. So this is just another major evasion. She continues to do this throughout the, the interview. And she kind of fakes it that she doesn't have good English either because there's a question about a wasp and she claims she doesn't know what a wasp is. Or this one I really like too. This I would believe maybe a German wouldn't know. Um, quote, this is Deckard's question. The cabin is rustic, knotty pine with a huge fireplace. On the wall, someone has hung old maps, courier and eyes paintings, and above the fireplace, a deer's head has been mounted, a full stag with felt horns. And she replies, I don't understand courier or eyes or decor. Wait, with rice, like in the dog, courier is what makes the rice courier rice? It's curry in German, end quote. And this is all apparently deflection by Luba Luf's um, side to really undermine the, the quality of the test. Um, but she eventually uh, calls essentially another police officer to inter intervene or kind of like a local bodyguard to intervene, and then they call the police, and they eventually uh, come and, and question Deckard, and Deckard you know, tries to explain he's from the police department. They don't really believe him. He explains he's got a body of a dead android in his car, and they go in to see it, and then they essentially arrest um, Rick Deckard as a potential android and as a potential killer. And they take him away to a police station. Now, of course, he works for the police, right? But he couldn't prove to these people that he was a, pol a, a police officer or a bounty hunter. And this is because we're about to enter into really a bizarre side quest of the novel and one of the most interesting parts of it. And that is this trip to a fake police station. And that's going to start in chapter, chapter 10. So in chapter 10, they're at this police station and everything seems to be like a regular police station. You even have like a officer there, a desk, a desk sergeant, I mean, taking in the people. And he even goes through this routine like paperwork that it's all fake, though. There's really no point of it. It's all a front. It's all a facade. Right. And they, they do all these tests on him. And Rick Deckard, of course, is originally quite surprised because, of course, he should know if there was a police station here. Its name even is the Mission Street Hall of Justice. Um, he says, uh, Deckard thinks, it makes no sense, he said to himself. Who are these people? If this place had always existed, why didn't we know about it? And why don't they know about it? Two parallel police agencies, he said to himself. Ours and this one. But never coming in contact as far as I know until now. Or maybe they have, he thought. Maybe this isn't the first time. Hard to believe, he thought, that this wouldn't have happened long ago. If it's really a police apparatus here, if it is what it asserts itself to be. Um, 
And this is, uh, well, the fact that Rick Deckard thinks for a while that maybe this is just a police station he didn't know about, uh, you know, led us to suggest that maybe there are levels of truth beyond the truth that Rick Deckard is aware of, that he, he's not entirely surprised that maybe there's something he doesn't know about. It doesn't take him long, though, to figure out that this is, these are androids, and that these androids, in order to hide, they're essentially trying to hide in plain sight by posing as their, their enemy, which are the police and the bounty hunters. And they essentially take over this police station. And they go even farther than that, in that they actually hire an actual bounty hunter. His name is Phil Recht. And he's their, their resident bounty hunter. And I, you know, it seems that this android police station sends, sends him out, right? And sends him out on missions to, to hunt androids. Of course, the bizarre thing here is these androids, the ones that Rick Deckard is catching, and one of the people here is one of them, one of the, the ones that Rick Deckard is after, had come just a few months earlier to Earth. But, but uh, Rick, when he finally talks to him, he's been there at this station at this police station for like three years. So this opens up all kinds of weird questions about Rick's own past and whether he's maybe possibly an android as well, just programmed to believe he is a bounty hunter. But they seem to follow general police procedure. So it's it's a fake police station, but it does everything like a normal police station. They let him make his call to his wife, although the call doesn't go anywhere. They they test his brain scan as kind of a source of identification. Uh, they you know they go through all the whole the questioning procedures. They have uh, ways to test if people have androids, although they use a different test, as I'll talk about a little bit later on. So the boss man at this police station is a man named Garland. And actually, he's, he's an android. He's one of the androids on Deckard's list. But he just inverts the whole thing as well, saying, well, we have this list of androids we're looking for. Maybe you're on this list. Because um, really, it starts with Luba Luf accusing him of being an android. And it carries on in this, in this police station. And I think this is really the, the plot that maybe the people who want to kind of develop this idea that Rick Deckard is, a, is an android. Maybe he can get the most kind of enjoyment out of this this ambiguity right but certainly i think it has something to do with deckard's shifting attitude towards his job i, I think it, it does have an effect on him this whole experience um in this not it, not just the revelation that comes at the end of this but in his his realization that that maybe in it you know he you know maybe he doesn't fully understand himself i guess is the way i'm think, thinking about it he doesn't fully understand himself. He doesn't understand his own emotions. And maybe there are things about him that maybe he is an android, right? He, that is in his mind for a while. Or at least it's being pro proffered up and it's something he has to deflect and, and, and explain to himself and justify to himself. That, you know, somehow explain that he's, why he's not. Because from a different point of view, right? He's, he's, just, he's just killing these people, right? Giving them these these tests and, and killing them and from kind of an objective point of view if you're not you know kind of in Deckard's mind and you're not in this ideology of mercerism and you're not in this kind of legal system that's trying to keep these runaway slaves from fleeing to earth if you're outside of that it does seem that he's just running around killing people who happen to be on a list right like any any hitman so in the early part of this chapter when Rex the bounty hunter and Garland are questioning Deckard on the assumption that he's an android and he's been killing, you know, people who, you know, just, just humans. 
He actually says, I think it's Garland, right? He actually says, I've always said that the best place for an android would be in a big police organization such as WPO. Ever since I met, first met Polokov, I've wanted to test him. But no pretest ever arose. It never would have either, which is one of the value which is one of the values such a spot would have for an enterprising android. Or maybe that's um, Rec. Rec who says that. Sorry, but um, it's... And of course, this is the situation we're in here is where Garland is doing the same essential thing that Polokov did, and that is posing as a law enforcement agent to try to avoid law enforcement. It's just Garland goes a lot farther. He's not trying to infiltrate the police station. He actually constructs essentially a parallel... Police station with its own bureaucracy and, and logic and rules and procedures, kind of pushing this idea that um, that Rick Decker's the bad guy, right? That should be hunted, not the hunter. Garland says this man or android, Rick Decker, comes to us from a phantom, hallucinatory, non-existent police agency allegedly operating out of the old departmental headquarters on Lombard. He's never heard of us and we've never heard of him, yet ostensibly we were both working in the same side of the street. He employs a test we've never heard of. The list he carries around isn't of androids, it's a list of human beings. He's already killed one, at least one. And if Mrs. Louvre hadn't gotten to the phone, he probably would have killed her and eventually he would have come sniffing around after me. And this is what Phil Rusk is hearing. Um, but finally, Phil Rusk does the test. He does the bone marrow test. To, and he proves that Polakoff was an android. Right. And this leads Wreck to then start to, to sniff around a little bit into the, pol the police station. Now, one thing we learn here is that, is that this police station, it's parallel many ways that Deckard's own police station. It has a bounty hunter. It has the same kind of bureaucracy and, and institution. It has, you know, it's chasing androids. But it has a different type of test for determining if someone is an android or not, they have something called the Bonelli reflex arc test, which uh, seems just as effective as the empathy test, but Rick Decker doesn't know how to use it. And the same way they don't know how to use the, the empathy test to determine the truth. So it's not, the empathy test is not the only way, apparently, to determine whether someone is, is an android, unless this is fake too. But it, it seems it's used. Um, at, yeah, effectively, Wretch has been using this in his bounty hunting. So in chapter 11, Rex goes up to get the equipment to test Deckard. And while he's up there, Rex points a gun at him. And, and then they get real, right? Because um, at this point, he's able to confess to Deckard that, that he is an android. Sorry, it's Garland who points the gun. But it's, it, he, then he's the one who he confesses that uh, all the, everyone here is androids, that Rex is an android, that I'm an android. And, you know... Now, there's an interesting side here where Deckard asks, like, does Rutch know he's an android? And Garland says, well, he can't know he's an android because he couldn't do his work if he thought he was an android, right? And this seems to contradict the statement earlier made that androids don't even have empathy for themselves, that they're kind of every man for themselves in these situations. And even Garland seems to confess that in this chapter that androids don't cover each other cover for each other in these kinds of situations um, but he gets into a little bit of pathos here about kind of the difficulty of their life and the challenges they face and just how they really are excluded from any moral value quote 
It has a chance anyways breaking free and coming here to Earth, where we're not even considered animals, where every worm and woodlouse is considered more desirable than all of us put together. Irritably, Garland picked at his lower lip. Your position would be better if Phil Resch could pass the Benelli test if it was just me. The results that way would be predictable to Resch, which would just be another Andy to re retire. I'd be just another Andy to retire as soon as possible. End quote. Um, but it's, you know, I think there is, we're forced here to think hard about this. There's going to be a scene later on where a character, it's Isidore, has a connection with the spider, right? And he has this great empathy for the spider. And animals are subject to human empathy, even if they are killers, even if they don't have empathy themselves. And, you know, it's possible even for characters to have empathy for androids. We saw this in the last episode where we saw Isidore having feelings for what he thought at the time was an electric cat even even a robotic cat you could have he could have some kind of feeling for their suffering and rick deckard by the end of this section is going to admit that he feels empathy for androids so it is possible it's it's to do that it's just because androids aren't really alive in some kind of very narrow definition and they lack empathy they they can be killed and I think Deckard is starting to get more and more bothered by this at this point in the, in the story. We're going to have to see how kind of this, this flows out at the end um, because there is cruelty to these androids. They, they, they are brutal. They are vicious. They are killers. And they do horrible things. And they don't really care about other people's feelings or, or suffering. Um, but that's true of many animals as well that also, you know, spiders don't feel for the suffering of, of the insects they kill. So anyways, what happens next is Rutch finally comes down and pretty much immediately shoots Garland, having determined that, that the room is full of androids. Um, he asked Deckard like, what he found out, what Garland told him, and Deckard says pretty much everything, confirms everything except the point that Garland said that Rutch is an android. So from this point of the story on, Deckard feels that Rutch has, has an idea that Rutch is an android. He even asked at one point, because now he figures he can't work here anymore, obviously. He thinks, well, your police station take me in as a bounty hunter. And, and Deckard says, well, I guess maybe that's possible. But at this point, he, he really thinks he's going to have to retire Wretch as well before, before the night's done. But it doesn't take long for Wretch to kind of figure out that maybe something along this line is up. He says, I can't get over it. It doesn't seem possible. For three years, I've been working under the direction of androids. Why didn't I suspect? I mean, enough to do something. Maybe it isn't that long. Maybe they only recently infiltrated this building. They've been here all this time. Garland has been my superior from the start through my three years. According to it, Rick said, that bunch of them came to Earth together, and that wasn't as long as three month years ago. It's only been a matter of months. Then at one time, an authentic Garland existed, Phil Wretch said. And somewhere along the way, he got replaced. His shark-like lean face twisted as he struggled to understand. Or I've been impregnated with a false memory system. Maybe I only remember Garland over the whole time, but... Only androids show up with false memory systems. It's been found ineffective in humans. So he's kind of come to the conclusion that maybe he is, is an android. But then he, he can't believe it because he remembers owning an animal. Not a false animal, but a real animal. And he talk, thinks about his love for the animal. And now that's, this is a profound question, right? Can an implanted memory or implanted feeling be 
be simulated love or simulated empathy, right? It doesn't seem that's possible. If androids are not capable of empathy, it doesn't seem they could be implanted with, with memories of it. Of it. And, and the little scene where he thinks about the squirrel that he has does seem to exhibit that, that human characteristic. Um, so chapter 11 ends with this ambiguity about, about Wretch's humanity. So in chapter 12, they, they seek out Luba Loof to finish the job of retiring her. They eventually track her down sort of at a museum, and she's looking to buy some like pictures. And Deckard actually helps her you know, buy some of these pictures for her, which, which really bothers Wretch a little bit, why anyone would, would waste the time to do that for someone they're about to retire. Now they banter a little bit and Luba Loof goes back onto this question that maybe they're androids, but she essentially admits that she's an android as well during this conversation. And then Phil Wretch just uses this as an excuse to immediately retire her. And he kind of does it a little bit gleefully and he seems to, to enjoy it. Now, after this happens, they have a couple of arguments, these two bounty hunters. The first has to do with the fact that Rick Deckard bought her this book of pictures and then after... Luft was killed, he burned it. He burned it with the body, you know, kind of in a sense of her owning it, right? Taking it with her. It's, it's kind of a sentimental act. And Rick just says he could afford it and, and it's not a big deal. But he doesn't understand why he wouldn't just take this and, and try to get his money back or sell it or, or get its value. And he's really bothered that, that he seems to have any kind of sentimental actions towards towards an android he retired. That's one of the fights they seem to have. Um, the other is that that Rick Deckard claims the the two retirements as his bounty, right? He, he says, I, I've retired three androids today. In fact, he's only killed the one, right? Wretch killed the uh, Luft and, uh, and Garland, right? He's the one who killed them. But Rick, Rick Deckard also says at this point that he just wants to get out of this, this business. And this also seems to offend Ratch, who says, like, what are you talking about? Get out of this business. This is it's a life or death situation. It's like us versus them. And he gives the examples of these androids that almost killed him. Quote, we're acting defensively. They're here on our planet. They're murderous, illegal aliens masquerading as as police, Rick said, as bounty hunters. And this, of course, triggers Ratch, who by this point, you know, Rick has more or less said that that wretch is a is an android so he says okay let's do the let's do the tests right give me the Bonelli test and we'll find out if I'm an android or not Rick Deckard says no I can't really give you that test I only really can interpret the the empathy test so I'll give you that Rutch feels that Deckard really is beginning to hate him and Deckard basically does and he says the reason why is is that he seems to kill, you know, on the slightest provocation. And, and this really bothers, that he, killed, he kills with such lack of mercy, that he's almost like these solitary killers that, that he's imagined the androids to be. Quote, I see a pattern, the way you killed Garland and then the way you killed Duba. You don't kill the way I do. You don't try to. Hell, I know what it is. You like to kill. All you need is a pretext. If you had a pretext, you'd kill me. That's why you picked on the possibility of Garland being an android. It made him available for being killed. I wonder what you're going to do when you fail to pass the Benelli test. Will you kill yourself? Sometimes androids do that. 
So anyways, they set up then the empathy test and Rick Deckard gives Wretch the empathy test. And we don't get to see the questionnaires. They, Dick just jumps to the next, to the conclusion. But the conclusion is that Wretch is, is human and, and Deckard gives him his gun back. And he concludes that maybe that Garland was just trying to break up the two bounty hunters by throwing in the doubt that they were one of them was the android, right? He was just playing the same game that, that Luba Loof was, right? Throwing up, maybe you're an android. Trying that same kind of deflection. But Rick says he, he found out something in the empathy test. He said, there is a defect in your empathic role-taking abilities. One which you don't, we don't test for, your feelings towards androids. And he says, well, of course we don't test for that. And Deckard says, maybe we should test for empathy towards androids, right? And now this is the key moment in in the book because for whatever reason rick asked enough questions to get to answer this to 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 get a response from wretch on whether he feels empathy for androids and he doesn't so he's got a total lack of empathy for androids he has it for other living things apparently he passes the empathy test fine but not for for androids and Deckard starts to think about himself and does he have empathy for androids or not? And this leads him to ask Wretch to give him the empathy test, at least on just one question, a question regarding, regarding the killing of an android. And it has some effect on him. It, it registers a little bit, but then Rick changes the question and says, ask me again, but if it's a female android. And it does, and it has a bigger effect, right? So it seems that the female android, he has empathy for, he has empathy for androids, but particularly for the female um, android. So now who's natural here, right? Is Deckard the natural one? Is it natural for human beings to have empathy for non-living things, for robots, for androids, for whatever? We've met another character who seems to have it. That's Isidore at least even for like what he thought was a robotic cat or is but it, so is that universal across humanity or is wretch the normal one and is the normal attitude towards technology to just not care what happens to it and immediately wretch thinks well maybe it's just the sex thing the sex appeal and he talks about how in the colonies sometimes people have uh android mistresses and um Here's what, here's the dialogue we get. Um, love, this is Wretch first. Love is just another name for sex. Like love of country, Rick said, love of music. If it's love towards a woman or an android imitation, it's sex. Wake up and face yourself, Deckard. You wanted to go to bed with the female type of android. Nothing more, nothing less. I felt that way on occasion when I just started bounty hunting. Don't let it get you down, you'll heal. What's happened is that you got your order reversed. Don't kill her or be present when she's killed and then feel physically attracted. Do it the other way. Rick stared at him. Go to bed with her first? And then kill her, Phil Wretch said succinctly. His grainy, hardened smile remained. And that's the end of the chapter, right? We don't really meet Wretch anymore. They just kind of go their separate ways from this point on in the story. Decker does take the, the credit for the two, two other retired androids because they were on his list. Um, it's never resolved how they quite negotiated that, but he, he is going to be able to get the credit for that. So this is our turning point in Deckard's character when he realizes that he really can't be a bounty hunter because he feels bad. He has empathy for the, the creatures that he's required to kill. 
right? I think it's still an open question, though, whether that's a normal human reaction. Obviously, humans seem to have empathy for many android-like solitary predators. Or is Wretch the normal one, right? And, and Decker doesn't even really know at this point. All he knows is he really can't continue to do, do this work. So at this point in the story, he's basically committed to, to retirement. So we're going to say goodbye to, to Rick Decker for a while, and we'll see in the next episode how he responds to these, these revelations he's, he's experienced. But in Chapter 13, we return to J.R.E. Sidor. And this is a, a kind of a, not really a filler chapter, but it's not... Uh, thematically as important as some of the others. Isidore has just come back from work and he meets up with Pris once again. Remember, we saw Pris in the morning and was introduced to her and now we've seen her again. And she goes into this long story about how she's being hunted and she and her friends are being hunted by bounty hunters and how her life is at risk. And this is really terrifying Isidore because you know the idea of humans killing other humans is as unheard of as humans killing animals at this point i mean it's even crazier where is it yeah he says you know pris says that not only is this guy a bounty hunter trying to chase us down and kill us that he enjoys it he enjoys killing us and isidore says i i think you're mistaken it's not in accord with present-day mercer and ethics all life is one no man is an island as shakespeare said in the olden times so he's kind of freaked out that there's this bounty hunter coming after them and for really for the rest of the story this image of the bounty hunter in Isidore's mind is going to be quite intimidating even when he finds out that Pris is an android she doesn't know this now so when he hears bounty hunter he's thinking of someone going around killing human beings so he's very terrified by this news um, and then all that else really happens here is Pris talks a little bit about her companions there's, there's only the there's really only the two left now Two others. They're the they're Roy Batty and Ingram Batty. This this kind of married android couple or androids posing as a married couple. Um, so partially what they're doing here is, and we learn that uh, is what partially what they're doing here is collecting literature, like pre-colonial pulp magazine, science fiction stuff, and sending it back to Mars. And that that's one way they're kind of making a living since they've been coming to Earth. She says, you know, there's a fortune to be made in smuggling pre-colonial fiction, the old magazines and books and films to Mars. Nothing is exciting to read about cities and huge industrial enterprises and really successful colonization. Can you imagine what it must have been like, what Mars ought to be like, canals? Now, this is fascinating um, in, in the sense, especially when we connect it to the other Martian novels. We don't see much of the Martian frontier. We don't see any of the Martian frontier in this book. It's just talked about. But what's key here is it's just an extension of earth there there's nothing there's no frontier rebirth here it's it's just an extension of of what earth was before the war right and that what's interesting about that is you have actual people settling on mars terraforming mars starting this new life on a new planet in the in what the advertisements call the greatest of human adventures right but they're so bored out of their mind doing this that they that they need to read pre-colonial science fiction all about Mars to be excited about what they're doing. That's more exciting to them than actually living on Mars. 
So that's the most interesting thing in this chapter 13, it seems to me, is that the, the frontiersmen are bored of their frontier. The frontiers become boring. Whatever Dick used to think about the frontier in his earlier work as a place of rebirth, a place of human rejuvenation, it's gone by now. I mean, this is fully the frontier of Martian time slip or even worse with Three Stigmata, Palmer Eldridge. It seems a little bit more developed. It has androids and things like that, but it seems just a just an extension of suburbia and and boring and dull. So people are forced to dream of of the frontier that was dreamed of back in the 30s or, or, or 20s or 30s. So at the end of this chapter, the door knocks. Uh, Isidore goes to open the door and, in the, and then he lets in Igrim and Roy Batty, the final two androids. So there's just the three androids left. But our bounty hunter is not in a mental state to ever go out to go after these people anymore. So he's ready to retire. So um, what comes of this though? What comes of this? We're going to have to look. We're going to wait for the next episode. And chapter in in part four of my review of Doing Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, I looked at chapter. 14 through through 17 which will get us right to the the climax of of the novel and most of it will settle with how Deckard comes to terms with his realization about his own uh, emotions towards towards androids so as always thanks for for listening let me know what you think about the false police station what do you think about uh garland what do you think about wretch you know that's a very interesting character that's not included in Blade Runner at all. Um, and and uh, a bounty hunter who's completely merciless, who has no empathy for for his subjects. Is this the, the normal behavior of the bounty hunter? Or is is Rick Deckard more the, the model of, of human empathy? Um, so let me know what you think about all this stuff. And, and you can send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com or just drop a message below. I will uh, give my I'll give uh, my thoughts on the next part of the novel in the next episode. So I'll see you then. You must search till you find the bird. You will find peace and contentment for. If you